who makes what's wrong right. And God, what we're... ...water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Those of you who are watching on live stream, uh, good morning to you. If you were to ask a person and just kind of in a loving way say, what do you think about Jesus? Uh, what do you believe about Jesus? You might get varying replies. You might have someone who says, you know, he's a good person. Or Jesus, he was a moral teacher. Or Jesus, he is the founder of Christianity. Some might even say he's the son of God and he's the holy one from God. Some might even say he is the second person of the Trinity. And yet many people who say I believe in Jesus also have what we can call a so what attitude about Jesus. They might say things like this, you know, I follow some of the principles of Jesus. Um, I see Jesus as just one of, you know, many religious leaders. I adopt some of what Jesus says, but he is not what my life is all about. Now, as we begin to conclude this uh, letter of 1 John, what we need to see here is John, the author, he has some very strong words. And what John is saying is, is you cannot have a so what attitude about Jesus. You just can't. He says you must consider the testimony about Jesus. He is the Son of God. You must consider the life that is found in Jesus because he's the one who can truly give you abundant and eternal life. So this is going to be our main idea today, and it's this. Because Jesus is the Son of God, he truly is the Son of God, we are to have true faith in him and true life in him. Because Jesus truly is the Son of God, we are to have a true life in him. We'll get at that through three points. We're going to look at the content of the testimony. What is it? The importance of the testimony. Why does it matter? And then the assurance of the testimony. What do we do with it? Before we go further, would you pray with me? God, we pray because we need you. We pray because we want you to speak to us. And so we stop and we say, God, speak now. Open our hearts to receive your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the content. What is this testimony? Look at verses six through nine. There we see this threefold testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit. And what do the three say? All three say, Jesus is the son of God. Now we gotta pause immediately. Um, there has been confusion over verse seven because it's what we call a textual variant. 
For those of you who have been raised in the King James Version, the King James verse 7 reads like this, three bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, which is the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. Now, uh, this has been a wonderful proof text of the Trinity. It's also been a proof text, if you will, that Jesus is the Son of God and that the Trinity affirms that Jesus is the Son of God. Yet there's a problem. Uh, This is not the original verse. (laughs) And what we need to say is uh, that doesn't mean that the Bible is unreliable. Rather, the opposite is true. See, what's going on is this. The King James Version of back in 1618, was translated from what was called the Latin version or the Vulgate. And the Vulgate was translated from very late manuscripts of the Greek Bible. And so what happened is there were variations that crept in uh, from those multiple and late translations. When you have translations from the original text, from the very early manuscripts, and we have some very early, like we suspect some are even like the letter, of the scriptures of the New Testament. And when you have those translations, the language there reflects what we have in our uh, ESV Bible today, the English Standard Version, and it's very reliable. I just want to highlight that there is what's called now a New King James Version, and the New King James Version actually is translated off the original text. And when you look at the New King James, it has a footnote. And what it does is it notes and says, hey, verse 7 has historically been translated off some late manuscripts. The early manuscripts are the way to go. All that to say is this. Footnotes in the Bible sometimes are important. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't often read them, pay attention to them. Another thing to point out, though, is this. If you do not have a good study Bible, it's good to have a good study Bible because it addresses issues like this. Now, with that aside, let's go back to the text. What does the testimony of the water and the blood and the Spirit say? Look at verse 9. Jesus is the Son of God. So let's break this down. Let's look at the water. And the water is referencing the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. So early in the Gospels, what we see is Jesus comes to John the Baptist, and uh, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus to fulfill all the righteousness on our behalf. And when Jesus is being baptized, what happens is, is there's a voice from heaven. And the voice from heaven basically quotes from Psalm 2, and it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And what's going on is the father is speaking from heaven, affirming the sonship of Jesus, and then the spirit descends as a dove to confirm that Jesus is the son of God. So what's going on is the water is the Trinity's declaration that Jesus is the son of God. What about the blood? The blood is a reference to Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, we've already seen this in this letter of 1 John. So in 1 John 1, verse 7, John says, The blood of Jesus as the Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, that's what John is saying. I think for our purposes, it's good to actually see what other New Testament writers say about Jesus and his blood being a sign or a testimony of being the Son of God. The Apostle Paul. So Apostle Paul, he's converted in Acts chapter 9. We read about that. Jesus appears to Paul in a blinding light. And then what's remarkable, it says, immediately after Paul encounters Jesus, it says he begins to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Now, it doesn't really say, well, what does he mean by that? So when we come to Acts chapter 13, we have one of the uh, first recorded sermons of Paul, and what he does is remarkable. He quotes Psalm 2. And so in his sermon, he talks about how Jesus is the Son of God and that the Father looks upon him and he is much beloved. And then he goes on and he talks. He says, Jesus as the Son died upon the cross He shed his blood so that all our sins would be forgiven. And then Paul in that same sermon says, Jesus as the Son of God is resurrected from the dead to show that he has power over sin and death and even the evil one. And so what we see here, the scriptures are saying that this blood pointing to Jesus' death and resurrection, it's a testimony that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah, the promised one. Now, what about the Spirit? I think this one's pretty easy, but let's figure out what this means. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. And what we look, see here in the text is this. It is the Spirit who internally testifies and convinces us that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Reason with me. You can have a person who can read the Bible and can read that the Bible is rational, that the Bible is a trustworthy account of Jesus, Even think about how uh, John started this letter in 1.1, he says, we were eyewitnesses. I'm writing about the things which we have heard, the things which we have seen with our own eyes. He says, this is what we have looked upon, and then he gives even, we've even touched this Jesus. And so you can have a person who says, okay, I get it, the Bible, it's, it's history, it's accurate history. And so you can say, I have in my head that the testimony is true, but it's still not life important to me. It's not changing me, I'm not living for it. I'm not different because of this testimony. And see, what ultimately needed is faith. Not only to believe that something is true, but to trust that it is true. And that is the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens our spiritual eyes of our heart so that we trust the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus, by faith, is the one who saves me. Look at verse 9. You can have all the testimony of the people that you want, but it is God who convinces us that this is true. And so that's what he's saying. The Spirit testifies that this Jesus is the Son of God. So all three agree. Water, blood, spirit. Jesus is truly the Son of God. Now, as the Son of God, John is saying, what does he do? Chapter 3, verse 5. Remember that? In chapter 3, verse 5, there he says, Jesus appeared to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. What he is saying is God has become a man. He is incarnate, fully God, fully man. And what did he come to do? He lived a perfectly obedient life to fulfill all the right righteous requirements of God's law. We talked about active obedience. Jesus lived for my righteousness. I was not able to live the law's demand, and so Jesus did it in my behalf. So not only did Jesus live for me, but he also died for me. He died as the perfect sacrifice for my sin. He paid for all the unrighteousness because I failed God's law. We call that passive obedience. He died in my place. 
He paid the righteous demands of the righteous law. So what's the testimony? Jesus is the Son of God. And it's not just a declaration of his identity and personhood. It's declaring what the Son has come to do to save sinners. And friends, that is the gospel. And so this is a testimony of God's love over us. Now, why is this important? Our second point. The testimony of Jesus as the Son of God is so clear that if one is to deny it, they call God a liar. Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Now what's going on here is uh, this, the Old Testament passage that we read today. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, there God lays out, you know what, a single witness in court, it doesn't count. It doesn't cut it, if you will. Because you can have one person who can say anything that they want. So to establish a truth in a court, you need to have two to three witnesses to establish that the matter is trustworthy. Here, John the Apostle, he's saying there are three witnesses In other words, we met the court requirement, and these three witnesses establish a truth, and what's the truth? That Jesus is the Son of God, and he says all three are divine. The water is the Trinity, the blood is the Messiah, the Spirit is the one who inwardly convinces us of this. Now, what's interesting here is there's no reference of the miracles of Jesus being the testimony that he is the Son of God. Now, typically, when we think of proof, you know, that Jesus is divine, most people appeal to and they say, you know, look at what he did. He fed the 5,000. He healed the sick. He cast out the demons. He raised people to life that were dead. You know, all those things are important, but look what the New Testament says. All those were done not to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God. Instead, Those things are done because he is the Son of God. When Jesus is doing those mighty things, it's because he's doing it as obedience to his Father's will. Let me put it differently. When Jesus is healing someone, it's because it's mercy. When he's cleansing the leper, it's because it's love. When he's doing these things, he is bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. Now, I want to be very clear and careful. Miracles still are a true testimony. They are. When we think about John the Baptist as he was getting ready to die in Herod's court, so remember John the Baptist spoke against Herod and his infidelity, and so he puts John the Baptist in prison. Um, John the Baptist is getting ready to die, and he's rightly so thinking through, Jesus, are you the one? So he sends some of his disciples to Jesus, and they ask the question, Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? And then he tells his disciples, John's disciples, he says, tell John what you have heard and what you have seen. The blind have received sight. The lame have walked. The leper has been cleansed. The deaf now hears. The dead have been raised. And the poor have had the gospel preached to them. What Jesus is saying is, yes, the miracles show that Jesus is the promised Messiah. They show that, but there is something even greater, 
And that's what John is picking up. John is saying there's even a greater testimony. God himself declares that Jesus is the Son of God. And this testimony of God is clear. It's convincing. What it's saying is Jesus is not just another prophet. Because in the Old Testament, you had prophets like Elijah who were doing amazing things. Elijah raised the dead to life. And so the people might be thinking, well, is Jesus different? And God himself is saying he is different. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God who has become man to save sinners. Look again at verse 10. If you ignore or deny this testimony, this testimony that is valid, this testimony that is established in the court of God, you call him a liar. This is very serious. So let's bring some application. What this means is you cannot dismiss Jesus as another religious leader. Uh, You know, religious leaders might say something like this, I'm enlightened, I have a vision, and I'm going to show you the way to God. Jesus says something completely different. Jesus says, I am the way to God, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is not another religious leader. He is God himself. And what we begin to see already is you cannot just say, hmm, so what? You cannot have a so what attitude about Jesus. You cannot minimize who he is. What this also means is you cannot pick and choose what you like about Jesus. With Jesus, it is all or nothing. I think that makes sense for us. It sounds hard, but it makes sense. For those of you who are married, can you imagine marriage vows that go like this? I stand before this crowd and before God and I will love you part of the time. I will respect you, but only some of you. I will honor what I feel like honoring about you. If you made those vows, what would that love be? It would be cheap. It would be scoffed, it would be laughed, because a person would say, that's not love, that's consumerism, that is selfishness, it's really all about you. Can you imagine this scenario? You say to your best friend, you can count on me sometimes. (laughs) I'll be for you, I'll be there for you, maybe. See, when you are in a marriage, or even a best friend, you give all yourself to that person. That's what a relationship is. And so when you think about the Lord Jesus, who is God, the Son of God, how much more is it all your life is a commitment to him? Jesus, you give all my love. You have all my love, all my honor, all my respect, all my obedience because you are the Son of God. Now some very specific application. Young people, I'm so thankful for the young people in our church. Uh, It just makes me smile. So here we have a church, and we have lots of young people, and these young people are being raised in Christian homes, and here's a very specific application. You must make a decision to follow Jesus on your own. Um, It's not because your parents say so. It's not because there's this expectation Part of becoming a Christian is you as a child raised in the covenant of grace saying, I'm going to follow Jesus because he is the son of God. Young people today, would you make that decision and say, I'm following Jesus because I want to. It's good that my parents want me to, 
but I follow because I want to. Another application. Sometimes I find, even in our church, this mentality. Religion is a good idea as long as it's not dogmatic, as long as it's not too rigid, as long as it's not too demanding. I'll hear things like this. Belief is comforting. Christianity is important because it instills values and morals. But don't go too far and say Jesus must be all of your life because that's too exclusive. That's going too far. That's too much. Hear what John says to that mentality. You're making Jesus small. You're cheapening who Jesus is. And what he says is, when you think that, you are making God a liar. Sometimes people say, you know, salvation by Jesus, it's just a noble idea. (laughs) Friends, it's not a noble idea. It's what we desperately need. If we just say salvation is something that is just an idea, how we cheapen what Jesus has done, he died at the expense of his own life. See, the cross is not merely a symbol of forgiveness. It's an actual means of forgiveness. Jesus is not just an interesting historical figure. He is God incarnate who came to save sinners. I think what's very helpful for us to understand here is what's going on in heaven right now regarding Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, this very moment, the heavenlies, the angels are declaring this chorus, worthy are you, Worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God. And then that refrain, all blessing, all honor, all glory, all might, forever and ever belong to you. That's what's going on in heaven. If that is who Jesus is, you cannot have a, hmm, hmm, oh well, or I'll see This is an attitude of Jesus, not of so what, not of indifference, but Jesus, you are my life. He is the Son of God. You must believe upon him. What assurance then do we have? What do we do with this testimony? When you believe this testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, what happens? John says you get life, abundant and eternal. Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Again, when you think of founders and leaders of world religions, they usually have a message that goes like this. Here is a way to find a better life or even to have eternal life. Do these things well, and then you will actually be connected to God, you'll be saved, you'll be one with God, something like that. John says something completely different. He says Jesus has come as life. He is life itself. And I think what he's doing is he's remembering Jesus' words when Jesus was on earth. John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. John chapter 10, I have come to bring life in abundance. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. (laughs) So Jesus is completely different. He is the only one who says, 
you know, here's a path to life, Jesus says, I am the life. Jesus says, I don't show you the way to life, but you find it in and only through me. Jesus has come as the Son of God to do what we cannot do. He saves us from our sin. And he has come to restore a broken relationship that our sin has caused with God the Father. And Jesus does this by giving up his own life. Do you see how Jesus gives us his life? He dies for us. He takes the death that is due for us. He takes the curse. He takes that separation so that we might have restoration in God. So now the Father sees us completely differently. The offense of our sin is completely removed. And now that relationship, that fellowship with God, this whole theme of 1 John, this fellowship of God is now restored. And what is a picture of that fellowship? It's life, vitality, a real relationship with God. And John says it's abundant and it's eternal. Do you hear the assurance? John says, if you have the Son, if you have faith, what do you have? You have life. But do you hear the warning? If you do not have the Son, if you remain in unbelief, you do not have life. Hear these words from John's gospel, John chapter three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. What do you do with this testimony? You trust it. You believe in it. You get life in it. And so today, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, today is a day of salvation and believe upon him. If today you say, I do believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then have assurance that there is life in him. And you are to have that life and experience that life even now. Now someone might say, okay, I understand all this, I get it, and yet I struggle to believe the testimony of the Bible because it was written so long ago. Then one of the things to consider is this, would you test, hear the testimony of those who have been changed by the Bible's message? Would you hear the testimony of those who now follow Jesus who has changed them today? With that in mind, I think it's good for me to share briefly my testimony. Before I had eternal life, I lived in fear. I really did. Um, I feared death because I didn't know if I was good enough. I thought I was good, but I still had like this nagging suspicion that I was not good enough for God. And so every night uh, before I would go to bed, I would pray. And particularly as a kid, I would say, God, forgive me of my sins. And I thought that if I forgot to pray that, and I died during the middle of the night that I would not wake up in heaven, but I would wake up in hell because I had forgotten to pray. So I really lived in this fear that I wasn't good enough. And then a friend shared with me, um, why don't you read the Bible and see what God says about that? And so I started the reading the Bible, and I'm one of those kind of weird people where I was converted, if you will, 
by reading just simply the Gospels. And so as I started to read the Gospels, I started to understand who Jesus is. I started to understand better what his death upon the cross did for me. And I received eternal life. I believed. But I still had resistance. And the resistance was this. I thought that if Jesus was going to be, you know, ruler of my life, he was going to ruin my life. I thought, I don't want to be one of those Christians who has to carry a Bible around and listen to really bad music and, you know, be boring. Um, But I knew that it was true. And so I believed. And I received eternal life. And the first thing that happened is that my fear went away. I no longer feared death. In fact, it was completely removed. And the other thing that happened is I realized that following Jesus is not as dumb and dorky as I thought it would be. (laughs) It was the best thing that ever happened, and it still is. And I'm so glad that I have eternal life. And now I want everyone to have that eternal life. If you are here, or perhaps you're watching online and you're seeking, would you ask a Christian for their testimony saying, tell me how Jesus has changed you. I'm really trying to figure this out. I see what it says in the scriptures, but I want to see how are you like a living letter of the Lord Jesus. I want to see how you're a living testimony of Christ. Share your testimony with me. So if you're seeking, would you do that? If you're a young person growing up in a Christian home, I have a homework for you. Would you ask your parents for their testimony? Have your parents share how they have eternal life and hear from them what it means for them to follow Jesus. And if you are a seasoned Christian, would you share your testimony of how Jesus has changed your life? This is what the world needs to hear. The testimony of Christ that he is the son of God, the one who has become man to save us from our sins. Because Jesus truly is the son of God, we are to have true life in him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the way to the Father. There is no other way but by your blood shed upon the cross for us. Spirit, thank you that you internally testify to that God, we thank you. May we find life in you, abundant and eternal. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.